Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to read, baby, read, read uh, you. <laughs> you don't know you're beautiful. I'm talking about you, the listener to this podcast. <laughs> the listener who's listening right now. Uh, yes. Uh, welcome to Infinite Cast, a pod jest. Um, I want to shout out the uh, 700 to 1,000 people who, who to 1,000 people who listen to this uh, podcast. Wow. Um, you are you are the true beauties, um, the wo- real ones. Yeah, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. As always, uh, as we say, don't don't quit before the miracle. Don't quit, don't quit before listening the miracle. before the miracle. Don't, yeah, <laughs> before the miracle, <laughs> the miracle is of finishing this, the book of us figuring out uh, exactly what we're doing here and turning uh, like you know into some kind of superstar podcast halfway through this. <laughs> um. Anything you want to say before we start? Ooh, I see some big block text. Oh yeah, uh, going on in the next segment. Yeah, yeah. He- headlines, of Headli- course. Oh, more headlines. Of yeah, course. we're right in the middle of this long section. <sighs> All right, so yes, back into this section uh, about the uh, the the Mario's propaganda film the about imperialist uh, movement. The imperialist movement. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah, let's get started. All right, so we're kind of right in the middle of the Secretary of State talking. Um, so we'll, we will continue with him. Uh, that you allowed Rod the God here to convince you to authorize unspecified services to undertake massive toxic dumping and skull softening against local statute for basically the same hard choice, greater good of the union reasons that prompted Lincoln to suspend the Constitution and jail Confederate <laughs> activists without charge for the duration of the last great U.S. territorial crisis. And slash or not least that these particular territories were chosen essentially because New Hampshire and Maine didn't let CUSP on their independent ballots. And the mayor of Syracuse had the misfortune to sneeze on the president during a campaign swing. Give away the entire strategy the two of you have apparently huddled in some sterilized corner and mapped out. Can this be what you mean by give it away, Rod? Uh, Tyne. Buff. Don't be a mo- that is spelled B O F with a circumflex uh, accent over, over the, the o. <laughs> buff. The o. Buff. Don't be a maroon Billingsley. The it in the president's give it away signifies the territory. <laughs> Gentle. Oh, Tyne. Right. He's he's wearing oxygen. Yes. Oh. Tyne. We're going to give away the whole benighted smirch of ground. Uh, Secretary of the Interior. Export it. One might venture to Sally. <laughs> Tyne. It's a novel and proactive resource no prior statesmen's had the vision or environmental cojones to envision. If there's one natural resource we've still got in spades, it's territory. It's free real estate, baby. Uh, the president of Mexico slash secretary of Mexico slash VC of Onan and several other secretaries attempt to bring eyebrows back down below hairlines. Tyne. President Gentles decided we're going to reinvent not just government, but history. Torch the past. Manifest a new destiny. Boys, we're going to institute some serious intra-Onan interdependence. Gentle. Uh-huh. Tyne. Gentlemen, we're going to make an unprecedented intercontinental gift of certain newly expendable Northeast American territories in return for the faute de mieux continuation of U.S. waste displacement access to those territories. Allow me to illustrate what lure, uh, just what the president means. Tyne places two large maps, also courtesy of Ms. Heath's crafts class, 
on government-issue easels. They both look to be of the good old USA. The first map is your more or less traditional standard issue with the U.S. looking really big and white and Mexico's (laughs) northern fringes, a tasteful ladies' room pink, and Canada's brooding bottom hem, a garish, almost menacing red. The second North American map looks neither old nor all that good, traditionally speaking. It has a concavity. It looks sort of like some person or persons have taken a deep, wicked, canine-intensive bite out of its upper right bit, in which an ascending and then descending line has its near-right angle at what looks to be the historic and now hideously befouled Ticonderoga, New York. And the areas north of that jagged line look to be that pushy shade of Canadian red now. Some little rubber practical joke type flies, the blue-bellied kind that live on filth, are stapled in a raisin-esque dispersal over the red concavity. <laughs> Tyne has a trademark telescoping Is there stink lines coming right? off of it. <laughs> yeah. Trademark telescoping weatherman's pointer that he plays with instead of using to point at much of anything. This is if so I have the right image. This is all with sock puppets, right? Mm-mm. Like popsicle stick puppets? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's how, okay, great. Yep. Uh, Secretary of State, a kind of ecological gerrymandering? Tyne, the president invites you gentlemen to conceive these two visuals as a sort of before and after representation of projected intra-ONAN territorial reallocations, or some public term like that. <laughs> uh, redemisements, probably too technical. Redemisements. Uh, Secretary of State, still respectfully not quite sure we at state see how inhabited territories can be sold to the public as, quote, expendable when a decent slice of that public, by all reports, inhabits that territory, Rod. Uh, gentle. Uh, Vermont is the second least most populated state. I think so. And this, that's the one that's going to be like completely eradicated. I guess Vermont and New Hampshire. Yeah, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. All and then a top, a top chunk of New York and then a little bit of the Berkshires. Well, it's not that many people. There's literally a part of Maine. It's not that. I mean, that's the joke, right? Yeah. It's not that many people. There's literally a part of Maine called the uninha- the empty quarter because well, it's like actually zero people live there. Would you like to see what they plan on doing with these people? Yes. Chris? Tyne, the, the president's proactively chosen not to hedge that high cost, tough choice, popular, possibly unpopular, lonely at the top fact one bit, guys. We've been moving forward full bore on anticipating various highly involved relocation scenarios. Scenario? Is it scenarios or scenario? Which takes us to note 157. An oblique little in tribute from Mario to the moms, at which line every year Avril at the headmaster's table takes off the witch's hat and holds it by the brim and whips it around in an enthused circle three times over her head. Grammar! <laughs> Back to the text. Uh... Marty's on task on the scenario front. Care to bring us uh, to speed, Marty? The Secretary of Transportation. We foresee a whole lot of people moving south really, really fast. (laughs) We foresee cars, light trucks, heavier trucks, buses, Winnebago's, Winnebago, (laughs) commandeered vans and buses, and possibly commandeered Winnebago's or Winnebago. We foresee four-wheel drive vehicles, motorcycles, jeeps, boats, mopeds, bicycles, canoes, and the odd makeshift raft. Snowmobiles and cross-country skiers and roller skaters on those strange-looking roller skates with only one line of wheels down each skate. We foresee (laughs) We foresee backpack-type folks speed walking in walking shorts and boots and Tyrolean hats and a stick. We foresee some folks just outright running like hell, possibly, Rod. We foresee homemade wagons piled high with worldly goods. We foresee BMW war surplus motorcycles with sidecars and guys in goggles and leather helmets. 
We foresee the occasional skateboard. We foresee a, te- a strictly temporary breakdown in the thin veneer of civilization over the souls of essentially frightened, stampeding animals. We foresee looting, shooting, price gouging, ethnic tensions, promiscuous sex, births, births in transit. Secretary of HEW. Rollerblades, I think you mean, Marty. <laughs> Secretary of Transportation. All feedback and input welcome, Trent. Someone junior in the office foresaw hang gliders. I don't foresee demographically significant hang gliding personally at this juncture. Nor, I need to stress, do we foresee anything you could call true refugees. Uh, gentle. Ha-ha. <laughs> Tyne. Absolutely not, Mart. No way a downer association rife term like refugee is going to be applicable here. I cannot overstress this too as assertively. Eminent non-domain? Yes. Renewal grade brand of sacrifice? You bet. Heroes, new eras, breed of new pioneers, striking in bravely for already settled, good old, settled, but unfoul American territory. Bien sûr, Secretary of State. Bien sûr? Uh, Press secretary with queer combination of bangs and bouffant and pair of bifocals on slim bead chain around neck and resting in (laughs) cleavage. Oh yeah, you have to remember that all of these cabinet members are uh, basically like Supremes, like black uh, uh, girl group singers. Oh, okay. It's styled in the puppet show. Oh, okay, in the puppet show, yes. So many layers. Neil over in Spin has been pouring through resource materials. Apparently, the term refugee can be plausibly denied if both, I'm quoting direct from Neil's memo here, if both A, no homemade wagons piled high with worldly goods are pulled by slow bovine animals with curvy horns, and B, if the percentage of children under six who are either A, naked, or B, squalling at the top of their lungs, or C, both, is under 20% of the total number of children under six in transit. <laughs> it's true that Neil's key resource here is uh, Paul and Deong's Totalitarian's Guide to Iron-Fisted Spin, <laughs> but they're thinking this fact can be spun away from without too much to do over in Spin. <laughs> uh, rebranding refugees and... Uh, hey, Jen... Jim Saki gets it, gets up there and does that every day. She's she's over there and spin spinning yeah. spinning hard. She's yes, spinning like a basketball Look, in the hand of a They're not climate product. refugees. No. They are just temporarily non-placed individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you know, we're not deporting Haitians. They weren't here legally in the first, first place, place. So you can't deport someone. Ah, who they wasn't weren't here imported legally. to begin with. <laughs> Aha! Caught by your own logic. Sp- spun. <laughs> hashtag spun. That's a that's a hashtag uh, Saki bomb. Spin, spin hashtag spin doctor. Uh, <laughs> gentle. <laughs> Fine. Marty and Jay's staffs have been day and nighting on strategies to forestall anything like ostensible refugeeism. Press secretary. I really think it. Uh, sorry, this is an aside, but yeah. just like the 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 tenor of the last two presidential press secretaries, I do think we will get to a point in our lifetime where it is basically de rigueur that the presidential press secretary answers almost every question, being like, "Fuck off." That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> None of your fucking business. I do, I don't have time for your bullshit, Jake Tapper. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, nerd. <laughs> that would be my strategy. Is uh, totally. As a White House press secretary. Uh, press secretary holding brilliantined head at that angle people in bifocals have to to read. Anything bovine with curly <laughs> horns gets shot on sight. Sorry, I'm, I, I know we're doing a lot of digressions, but I just yeah, I have to keep in mind that this is a puppet show, and I feel like it started very, fairly plausible and simply, but the disconnect between the very like specific and advanced language and the idea that they're like popsicle stick puppets... Yes, is very is very strange. Yes, 
Also, can, does Mario have the the capacity, like me- mental capacity, to use this language? Where did he? Where did this script come from? Yeah. Uh, anything bovine with curly horns gets shot on sight. Rods top USO operatives in shiny trucks at strategic intervals, handing out free toddler wear, courtesy of Sears's Winnie the Pooh line, to nip nakedness in the bud. <laughs> Secretary of the Treasury. Still hammering out the boilerplate on the Sears agreement, Rod. <laughs> Tyne, the president has every confidence, Chet. I believe Marty and Jay were just getting to the transportational coup de grace. Secretary of Transportation, we're soliciting bids for signs up there making it legal to drive really, really fast in the breakdown lanes. <laughs> uh, press Secretary, southbound breakdown lanes. All secretaries, harmonic murmurs. Secretary of State, Still don't see why Why not just retain cartographic title to the toxified areas, relocate citizenry and portable capital, use them as our own designated disposal area. Sort of the back of the hall closet or special wastebasket system underneath the national kitchen sink, as it were. Hammer out systems for delivering all national refuse and waste into the area. Coordinate off, keep the rest of the nation edible off as per Johnny's platform. Secretary of the HEW, why seed vitally needed waste disposal resources to a recalcitrant ally? time billingsley trent and yet who uh who as i stated says we can't utilize these territories for just this purpose no matter whose nation's name they're in interdependence is as interdependence does after all uh president president of mexico, mexico slash secretary of mexico slash vc of onan okay <laughs> gentle huh time yet billing billingsley's right that this kind of sprawling depopulated newly canadian territory can accommodate the tidiness needs of this whole great continental alliance for decades to come after that look out yukon president of mexico blah 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 face green and mask wetly dark over upper lip may i respectfully ask president gentle how you are proposing to ask my newly succeeded co-vice chair of our continental organization to possibly be able to accept vast arenas of egregiously poisoned terrain on behalf of his peoples Fine. Valid question. Simple answer. Three answers. Statesmanship, gamesmanship, counting now on fine, strong, clean white fingers. Brinksmanship. <laughs> uh, with now more and rather more jejun journalistic FX spinning out of the black at high camp speeds to a 45 RPM playing of custodian Dave FDV Hard's one third RPM uh, disc of Flight of the Bumblebees. Uh, gentle to Canadian PM. Have some territory, header. <laughs> Canadian PM to gentle. No, really, thanks anyway, header. Uh, gentle to Canadian PM. But I insist, header. Uh, Bloc Québécois to Canadian PM. Accept toxically convex addition to our province and we are out of here so fast your head will spin all the way around. Header from that guy again. <laughs> Canadian PM to gentle. Look, we're swimming in territory already. Have a look at an atlas, why don't you? We have way more territory than we know what to do with already. Plus, I don't mean to be rude either, but we're especially unkeen on accepting hope- hopelessly befouled territory from you guys. Interdependence r- rhetoric or no, there's really just no way. And that's again. a headline? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, Abon 26 member EEC accuses U.S. of experialist domination, header. Third world vegetables hurled in U.N. imbroglio. <laughs> Is it imbroglio, imbroglio. or imbroglio? Uh, 10 point subheader. Gentle to... P- I think that was alluded to earlier. Some like tomato, rotten, rotten, rotten tomato throwing at the U.N. Uh, gentle to PM. Look, babe, take the territory or you're going to be really, really sorry, <laughs> header. <laughs> 
Singe City Shrink, nation's velvetiest vocalist, was hospitalized twice for mental illness. Tabloid header. Presidential history of emotional instability alleged by Las Vegas MD. Respectable header. <laughs> uh, my gardens now got tomatoes I couldn't lift even if I could hack through their vines with a machete to even reach them. Tabloid header, Dateline, Montpelier, Vermont, with photo that simply has got to have been doctored. So are you, are, are you picking up on this? There's part of the like nuclear waste is hyperfluoration. Yeah. Which is to say like really like overgrowth of plants. I'm waiting throughout. The only thing I'm waiting for throughout this entire segment is where the giant infants come from. Okay. I'm not sure. If that comes in. Who, who but might. that makes sense. The hyper hyperfluoration. Things are getting larger. Infants, things yes. are losing their skulls. Yeah, yeah. So anytime you hear about like a Gi- forest that's really overgrown or gigantic tomatoes yes. because of like I, annular fusion waste. I've, I've, I've put that together. Okay, great. Uh, giant tomatoes. FEC called to investigate CUSPs. Header. Strategic misrepresentation of candidate's psych history has put nation and continent at risk. Dems charge. He's getting eagletoned. Uh, twelve point super subheader. He's a uh, um, he's do, he's doing mental health realness. He and, is. He is. And doing they can't handle real, it. Realness. I want a president with mental health issues. I. When will we first have our, our president? With mental, I, I would say that there have already. What if Joe? What if Joe Biden comes out and is like, I have ADHD. I have ADHD. I was. Di- I, I have adult suffer. Yeah. Suffer. I'm hashtag actually ADHD. A uh, top aides huddle as worries over Gentle's pathological inability to deal proactively with any sort of real or imagined rejection mount in face of Canadian showdown. Meth dependent headliner now at third daily in 17 months. Wonder if a president was running for re-election and basically made the argument, uh, you if if you don't vote for me, I'll kill myself. Right. <laughs> well, oh my God, that's amazing that you say that because we're about to get into kind of a, a parallel that, story. Yeah. Wow, Chris. It's I, all coming together. I wrote this book. Both financial and diplomatic communities have reacted with increasing concern to reports that President Gentle has isolated himself in a small private suite at Bethesda Naval Hospital with several thousand dollars worth of sound and sterilization equipment and is spending all day, every day, singing morose show tunes in inappropriate keys to the USMC colonel who stands near the Dermalytix hypospectral sterilization appliance handcuffed to the black box of United States nuclear codes. Unspecified services office spokespersons have declined to comment on reports of such erratic executive directives as ordering the Defense Department to commandeer department store giant Sears Co.'s entire inventory of Winnie the Pooh toddlerware under National Security Emergency Proviso 414, requiring (laughs) armed forces personnel to take target practice at cardboard silhouettes of what appear to be oxen, water buffalo, or Texas longhorn cattle, Preparing the release of a presidential address to the nation cartridge that purportedly consists entirely of the president seated at his desk with his head with his head in his gloves, intoning "What's the point of going on?" over and over, <laughs> instructing silo personnel at all SAC installations north of uh, 44 degrees to remove their missiles from the silos and then reinsert them upside down. And ordering the installation of massive air displacement effectuators 28 kilometers south of each such silo facing north. That's Anchor's lead for kind of semi-cheesy weekly lurid news intensive summary cartridge. Unprecedented Whopper revenues in third quarter credited by Pillsbury slash BK to Gentle's creatively proactive resuscitation of post-network advertising. Adweek 14-point full-color header. Uh, Gentle has completely lost mind, claims Confidant. 
OUS Chief Tyne at press conference. Threatens to detonate upside-down missiles in U.S. silos, irradiate Canada with aid of Ask Me Hell fans, header. Willing to eliminate own map out of sheer peak if Canada nixes reconfigurative transfer of aesthetically unacceptable terrain. Pretty obviously homemade subheader. (laughs) This uh, catastatic feature of the puppet film's plot that Johnny Gentle, famous crooner, threatens to bomb his own nation and toxify neighbors in an insane pout over Canada's reluctance to take redemised title over Onan's very own vast dump resonates powerfully with those members of the movie's ETA audience who know that this whole parodic pseudo-Onantiad scenario is actually a puppet clef type allusion to the dark legend of one Eric Clipperton and the Clipperton Brigade. That's right, we're going and doing another story right in the middle of all these stories. <laughs> Uh, in the very last couple of years of solar unsubsidized time, this kid Eric Clipperton appeared for the first time as an unseated 16-year-old in East Coast Regional Tournament play. The little town or academy hailed from slot after Clipperton's name on tournament draw sheets just said "Ind," presumably for independent. Nobody'd heard of him before or knew where he came from. He'd just sort of seepily risen, some sort of human radon from someplace low and unknown, Quincy lent the cliche, win or die in the attempt, grotesquely literal new uh, levels of sense. For the Clipperton legend, derived from the fact that this Clipperton kid owned a hideous and immaculately maintained Glock 17 semi-automatic sidearm that came in a classy little leather-handled blonde wood case with German high-gothic script on it. Oh, I know what this is. And a velvet gun-shaped concavity inside where the Glock 17 lay nestled in plush velvet, gleaming, with another little rectangular divot for the 17-shot clip, and that he brought the gun case and Glock 17 out on the court with him, along with his towels and water jug and sticks and gear bag, and from his very first appearance on the East Coast Junior Tour, made clear his intention to blow his own brains out publicly, right there on court, if he should lose ever, even once. I I wasn't even uh, thinking about this uh, when I suggested that uh, President should, as part of their re-election campaign, uh, threaten to kill themselves if they don't win. Uh, which, honestly, at this point, why not try? Give it a you shot. You know, with the, it's not like it's going to coarsen the, the presidential discourse or anything. I mean, it, w- it would not surprise me if we are, like, a month away from AOC do- doing, like, an, <laughs> an Instagram live where she's like, I don't even want to be around anymore. Yeah. It's too. Uh, it's all too hard. Why go on? Yeah, and then d- does like a va- vague posting or va- yeah. vague booking, <laughs> just from at at a- AOC. So long for now. Well, well, I don't know if you have you ever seen one of these on Twitter. I've I've seen a couple where it's basically like someone posts something like a tweet, and it's someone I know, like a mutual has faved it or something, and it's like basically just like vaguely suicidal and like thanks for everything, guys, and then yeah. they appear like three days later, being like, I went to rehab. <laughs> I'll see. I'll see you guys in a little bit. Great. And I'm like, totally. I have no idea who you are, but uh, I I hope you get the help you yes. need. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ! But I've I have heard the image of this book of a of a kid tennis player who okay. plays, uh, plays suicide like suicidally or with a gun to their head. Thus, there came to be in most every tournament with an initial draw of 64, a group of three boys, then four, and by the semifinals five, then eventually six boys who for that tournament formed the Clipperton Brigade, players who'd had the misfortune to draw and meet Eric Clipperton and Clipperton's well-oiled Glock 17, and who understandably declined to be the player to cause Clipperton to eliminate his own map for keeps in public for something (laughs) as comparatively cheesy as a tournament win over Clipperton. 
A win over Clipperton had no meaning because a loss to Clipperton had no meaning. It didn't hurt anybody's regional and USTA ranking. Not once the guys in the USTA Computer Center caught on to the Clipperton strategic MO. Thus, an early exit from a tournament because of a loss to Clipperton came to be regarded as sort of like a walk in baseball stats wise. And a boy who found himself in the Clipperton Brigade and defaulted his round uh, tended to view that tournament as a kind of unexpected vacation, a chance to rest and heal, to finally get some sun on the chest and ankles, to work on chinks in his game's <laughs> armor, to reflect a little on what it all might mean. <laughs> <laughs> Clipperton's first meaningless victory ever came at 16, unseated at the Hartford Junior Open first round against one Ross Reet of Maddox, Ohio, and the just-opened Enfield Tennis Academy. For some reason, it's Struck who sort of specializes in this story and never misses a chance to tell new ETAs the tale of Clipperton versus Reet. Clipperton's an okay player, nothing spectacular, but also not like absurdly out of place at a regional grade tourney. But Reet is at 15, seasoned and high ranked, and the third seed at Hartford. And Reet is for a while, as would be SOP for a high seed in the first round, basically cleaning under his nails with his unseated unknown Eric Clipperton. At 1-4 in the second set, Clipperton sits down at the side change and instead of toweling off, reaches into his gear bag and extracts his classy little blonde wood case and gets out the Glock 17. Fondles it, takes out the clip, and hefts it and rams it home in its slot at the base of the grip with a chillingly solid-sounding click. Caresses his left temple with the thing's blunt, shiny barrel. Everybody watching the match agrees it is one ugly and all-business-looking piece of personal defense hardware. <laughs> Clipperton climbs up the rungs of the lifeguardish chair, the umpire in his blue blazer, which takes us to EndNote 158, the umpires on the U.S. Junior Tour tend to be retired high school principals whose only remuneration is the chance to exercise, again, some slight authority over the young. <laughs> Back to the text. Uh, sits in and uses the umpire's mic to make public his intention of blowing his personal brains out all over the court with the hideous glock should he lose. The small first-round gallery stiffens and inhales and doesn't exhale for a long time. Reet audibly gulps. Reet is tall, densely freckled, a good kid, one of Incondense's fair-haired boys. Not too bright, with the satellite tour so clearly in his future that only at only 15, he's already starting cholera shots and mastering third-world exchange rates. And but for the remainder of the match, which lasts exactly 11 more games, Clipperton plays tennis with the Glock 17 held steadily to his left temple. The gun makes tossing kind of a hassle on Clipperton's serve, but Reed is letting the serves go by untouched anyway. None of the ETA staff has bothered to show up and coach Reet through what was supposed to be a standard first-round fingernail cleaning, and so Reet is strategically and emotionally all alone out there, and he's opted for not even pretending to make an effort given what the unseated Clipperton seems willing to sacrifice for a win. <laughs> Ross Reet was the first and last junior player ever to shake Clipperton's free hand at the end of the match, and the moments captured in a Hartford Courant staff photo that some ETA'd wiseacred, uh, ETA wiseacred later glued to the door of Struck's room with so much Elmer's all over the back that taking it off would gut the varnish so the thing stays up for all in the hall to see. Reet here up at net on one knee, one arm over his eyes, the other hand extended upward to a Clipperton who'd simply obliterated him psychologically. And Ross Reet was never quite exactly the same ever again after that. <laughs> Both Shit and Delin have assured all future potentially mercy-minded ETA males. <laughs> The, the, Just imagine it like <laughs> the guy with a gun to his head shaking his head. <laughs> that would be a good, good um, fan art. A good, I would love, yes, that would be good fan art. Uh, good, uh, out, if it wouldn't be a hor uh, 
like incredibly corny and cringe to use Infinite Jest's uh, stuff as your album cover, uh, that image would be a good album cover. Yes. Oh, that would be so good. Um, uh, are you Are you looking to see if no? No, you're I'm trying to text someone a picture of a dress I'm wearing to a wedding later today. <laughs> girls gotta. Girls gotta. Yes. Uh, ladies doing it for themselves. It's you know it's it's a part of a. Uh, um, it's a part of female culture. Female to, culture to um, uh, text your dress, uh, your dress looks. Yes. Um, I know. I know. Me and my boys all text each other. Uh, you know, pictures of our nearly identical suits and uh and shirts. Uh, before what kind of suit you wearing? You know, suit regular style. So what's uh what's the cut of your suit? Uh, I don't know. Uh, suit style. Normal. Um. I'm actually not wearing a suit today. Uh, I'm wearing a... I li- you can't even finish this joke because there's literally nothing else for men to wear. I'm so sorry. Maybe... maybe <laughs> We're so, it, we are so oppressed. Uh, yeah. It's, hard, it's so hard. Yeah. All right. And... Sorry for that pause. And the legend story goes, Eric Clipperton never henceforth loses. No one is willing to beat him and risk going through life with the sight of the Glock going off in his conscience. I would, conscience. Be, I would beat Eric Clipperton. Chris! Jesus Christ! If he, look, if he's going to play this game uh, with every single person, somebody's got to stand up play, to him. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah. Uh, nobody ever knows where Clipperton comes from to play. Never seen at airports or interstate exit ramps or ever even spotted carb loading at any Denny's between matches. He just starts materializing, always alone, at increasingly high-level junior tournaments, appears on draw sheets with end by his name, plays competitive tennis with a Glock at his left temple, which takes him us to one fifty nine. Clipperton eventually perfecting the toss with the same hand you serve with maneuver, pioneered by South African double specialist Colin Vander Hingle, after a hideous turboprop charter aircraft propeller accident took off his right arm, ear, and sideburn in only the second <laughs> year of his show career in Durban. Okay, back to the text. And his opponents, unwilling to sacrifice Clipperton's hostage, Clipperton Mem, barely even try, or else they go for impossible angles and spins, or else talk on mobile phones while they play, or try to hit every ball between their legs or behind their backs. And the matches' galleries tend to boo Clipperton just as much as they dare. And Clipperton sits and hefts his 17-shot clip and takes the brass-jacketed 9mm cartridges out sometimes and clicks a few together ruminatively in his hand in the sideline chair at all the odd game breaks. And sometimes he tries little western gunslinger trigger guard spins during the breaks. But when play resumes, Clipperton's deadly serious once more and has the Glock 17 at his temple playing and mows through the lackadaisical Clipperton brigade round by round and wins the whole tournament by what is essentially psychic default. And then right after collecting his trophy, vanishes like the ground itself inhaled him. His only even remote friend on the junior tour is eight-year-old Mario Incandenza, whom Clipperton meets because, even though Disney Leith and an early pro-rector named Cantrell are shepherding the male tournament contingent, including a solid but sort of plateau-stuck and no longer much improving 17-year-old Orin Incandenza that summer, ETA headmaster Dr. J.O. Incandenza shows up at quite a few of the events on the domestic circuit, doing under ostensible USTA auspices a two-part documentary on junior competitive tennis stress and light. And so Mario's tottering around with lens cases and toughy tripods, etc. at most of that late summer's meaningful events and meets Clipperton and finds Clipperton intriguing and in ways he can't be very articulate about, hilarious, and his <laughs> kind to him and seeks out his company, Clipperton's, or at any rate, 
treat at least treats Clipperton like he exists, whereas by late July, everybody else's attitude toward Clipperton resembles that kind of stiffly conspicuous non-recognition that E.G. accompanies farts at formal functions. <laughs> One of himself's short test cartridges shot to check out transverse aberration at various sun angles. <laughs> the case's little adhesive sticker says... Uh, contains the only available footage of the late Eric Clipperton, which takes us to in note 160. Certain other and doubtless really disturbing footage of Clipperton's suicide still exists, having, with perhaps a half dozen other emotionally or professionally sensitive cartridge masters, been designated unviewable by testatory codicil, and as far as either Hal or Oren knows, enclosed in some sort of vault apparatus that only himself's attorneys and maybe Avril have access to. As far as can be determined, only those lawyers, Avril, Disney, Leith, and perhaps Mario, know that the cartridges were, in fact, along with his case of special lenses, interred right there with J.O. Incondense's dead body, <laughs> uh, which takes us to foot, footnote A, in the Mondragon family plot area of Le Cimetière du Saint-Aldalbert in the now overlush potato-growing country off of Provincial Auto Route 204 in Lille Province, Quebec just over the border from what is now the Eastern Concavity, such that the funeral had to be delayed and then rushed to be fit in between annulation cycles. Uh, right in there with his body, yickily enough, there having been room in the bronze casket only because Incondenza's extreme height dictated a casket size that his thin physique didn't nearly fit the width and depth of. Okay, wait. Yes. Uh, well, uh, so, J.O. Uh, Incondenza was buried with a number of cartridges deemed too unviewable. traumatic unviewable including the suis the the presumably tennis court superside of suicide of eric clipperton, of eric clipperton. yes and he was born uh, buried in quebec yes in the have we avril's in avril's family avril's plot. we've established that avril's family is her yes. her maiden name is mondragon mondragon okay great uh and now back to the clipperton tale yes um, boo, boo, boo. Uh, oh, and it's now overgrown by a potato vine. Yes. So yeah, one of himself's short test cartridges uh, from the preponderance of salt tablet dispensers and littered pledge husks and Dade County ambulances, it was pretty likely shot at the hideous Sunkiss Jr. Invitational Cramp Fest in August in Miami. Just a couple overexposed meters of Clipperton, head down and hunched on a low orange bleacher, bony shouldered, in no shirt and untied Nikes, his gothic scripted case in his lap, his elbows on his knees, and his hands spidered across both cheeks, staring down between his feet and trying not to smile as a withered toddler-sized and forward-listing Mario stands beside him, supported by his portable por police lock, holding a light meter, and something else too halated to make out on the tape, opens very wide for a homodontic laugh at something very funny uh, Clipperton has apparently just let slip. <laughs> um... A, a little more? Yeah. A let's do a little do you more. Have a, do you have like another segment? We're probably at like 35 now. I think. Yeah, we're at like 35 minutes. Let's, let's go a little longer and you can yeah. you can uh, wave the white flag whenever you're. Whenever let's go you're like ready. five more minutes. We've okay. been doing like shorter ones. Hal, having smoked cannabis on four separate occasions, twice with others on this continental day of rest. Damn, Hal's a 420 blazing it yeah, today. Five, five times. I, there's, not, there's not been a lot of times in my life where I've like, uh, like, gotten high multiple times yeah maybe two at two most. at most i don't know it's that's not my my personal um, yeah that's, journey yeah uh plus still in a kind Getting of high is too stressful <laughs> 
Especially at a tennis academy. Yeah, seriously. Plus still in a kind of guiltily, sickeningly, uh, sickening stomach pit shock from the uh, afternoon's eschaton debacle and his failure to intervene or even get up out of his patio chair, Hal has lost a bit of his grip and has just gotten on the outside of his fourth chocolate cannoli in half an hour and is feeling the icy electric keening of some sort of incipient uh, carry in the left molar range. And also now, as usual, after swinishness with sugar, finds himself sinking emotionally into a kind of distracted funk. The puppet film is reminiscent enough of the late himself that just about the only more depressing thing to pay attention to or think about would be advertising and the repercussions of Onanite reconfiguration for the U.S. advertising industry. <laughs> oh no, more, more information. Mario's <laughs> film executes some rather over-arty flash cuts between the erections of Lucite fortifications and AFTME and EWD displacement installations along the new U.S. border on the one hand and the shadowily implied Rodney Tyne disastrous love interest element with the voluptuous puppet representing the infamous and enigmatic Quebecois fatale known publicly only as Luria P., it's Luria P with like a long dash so as to hide the rest of the name. Okay. I don't, I'm not, we'll, we'll talk about it on the other. Tyne's puppet's tiny brown felt hand is on Luria's voluptuously padded little popsicle stick knee in the famous, <laughs> a padded popsicle stick knee mm. in the famous Vienna, Virginia Szechuan Steakhouse where, according to dark legend, subsidized time was conceived on the back of a chintzy Chinese Zodiac paper placemate mat by R. Tyne. Sorry. Hal happens to know the fall and rise of millennial U.S. advertising exceptionally well because one of the only two academic things he's ever written about anything even remotely filmic, which takes us to EndNote 161. Uh, the other having been that predictive call for the catatonic hero, also for Ogilvy's entertainment two-termer. You mm -hmm. remember that? Uh, back to the task. The hero of inaction, right? Yeah. Hawaii Five-O. Uh, not Hawaii Five-O. Maybe. I forget what. Old television was a mammoth research paper on the tangled fates of broadcast television and the American ad industry. This was the final and grade-determining project in Mr. U. Ogilvy's year-long Intro to Entertainment Studies in May of YPW, and Hal, a seventh grader and only up to R in the condensed OED, wrote about TV advertising's demise with a reverent tone that sounded like the events had taken place at the misty remove of glaciers and guys in pelts instead of just four years prior, <laughs> more or less overlapping with the waxing of the gentle era and experialist reconfiguration Mario's puppet show makes fun of. There's no question that the network television industry, meaning since PBS is a whole different kettle, the big three plus the fast-starting but low-endurance Fox <laughs> had already been in serious trouble. Between the exponential proliferation of cable channels, the rise of the total viewer control handheld remotes known historically as zappers, and VCR recording advances that used subtle volume and hysterical pitch sensors to edit most commercials out of any program taped. Oh, damn, that would be great if that was true. Can you imagine? Yeah. Here, a rather chatty digression on legal battles between networks and VCR manufacturers over the edit function that Mr. O drew a big red yawning skull next to in the margin out of impatience. <laughs> uh, the networks were having problems drawing the kind of audiences they needed to justify the ad rates their huge overheads slavering maw demanded. The Big Four's arch foe was America's 100-plus regional and national cable networks, 
which in the pre-millennial Limbaugh era of extraordinarily generous Justice Department interpretation of the Sherman statutes had coalesced into a fractious but potent trade association under the stewardship of TCI's Malone, TBS's Turner, and a shadowy Albertan figure who owned the view out the simulated window of various lavish homes in exotic locales channel, the <laughs> Yuletide fireplace channel, CBC's cables educational programming matrix, and four of Le Groupe Vidéotron's big five, uh, five big Canadian shop at home networks. <laughs> Uh, With the, honestly, the Yuletide Fireplace channel? Network, yeah. Did, did those videos exist at that time? I believe one you, of the um, Netflix Yuletide logs is just a reprogramming of something from the 90s. Really? That they used to air, for oh, real. Wow. I'll, I'll fact check that. I I believe that's true, though. I thought that was a relatively new innovation. Remember watching um, the slow train video? Going oh, God. From, the, like, slow t- the slow TV. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a phenomenon for a second. Mm. Mounting an aggressive hearts and minds campaign that derided the passivity of hundreds of millions of viewers forced to choose nightly between only four statistically pussified network broadcasters. (laughs) The pussification of the Western Mail. (laughs) Then extolled the empoweringly American choice of 500 plus esoteric cable options. The American Council of Disseminators of Cable was attacking the four right at the ideological root. The psychic matrix where viewers had been conditioned. Conditioned rather deliciously by the big four networks and their advertisers themselves, Hound notes, to associate the freedom to choose and the right to be entertained with all that was U.S. and true. Uh, can we stop there? Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be getting deep into the ads next. Uh, okay, great. Next episode. Is this a more dis- uh, a, another dissertation on the nature of entertainment, a la the uh, teleconferencing section? Uh, exactly the thing that um, that that. Uh, London Review of Books guy was getting annoyed about basically. Yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about that briefly? Because I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, or do we want to talk about this this segment for a second? I mean, I I feel like I don't want to say slog because this entire book it technically is intentionally a slog. Uh, Yes, but you know, I feel like we're not getting too too much new information during this this segment not not that that much new stuff to talk about i think this is like truly the first segment of all of this book where rather than these like discrete moments of like kate gompert getting uh in the oh by the way uh for those keeping track molly and i came up with another good uh casting for uh the uh, an infinite jest thing which is that sydney sweeney sydney sweeney should play kate gompert she of euphoria and um the white White Lotus. lotus should play Kate Gompert because she is a blonde who can act moody and also is known to breast boobily. She does breast boobily. Um, Shout out to her. Uh, Yes. Before it was like these more discreet moments and now they keep like continuing like five different scenes throughout when before it used to just be Hugh Steepley and whatchamacallit on the mountain. Uh, Well, I I guess the big thing that we get that here is the, uh, the, what is it? The Ken, Ken Clippenstein. What is the guy's name? Uh, Eric Eric Clipperton. (laughs) Eric Clipperton, uh, which I know is a fairly iconic, as I mentioned, is a fairly iconic Mm -hmm. uh, image of, of this book. And you know what? It is an iconic image. It is. Uh, and I think my takeaway is that Clipperton is a king uh, who is able to who look at the system seriously and game it for what it is, and that anybody who beats Clipperton is also a king. You're, you're, you're pro all, all the way around. I, I, yeah, I, as, a, as opposed to, I think, you know, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess Prisoner's Dilemma isn't, isn't right, but um, 
you know, I guess the the book presents it as a uh, a kind of a lose lose scenario about like he wins and the other guys like take a dive, but mm-hmm. like really, what does anybody get out of the situation? If this were uh, the subreddit, am I the asshole? You might point uh, around and say, "Na," and your your uh, decree might be "Nah," no assholes here. No assholes here. Uh, whereas someone might else might look at it and say, right. "Esh, everyone sucks here." Everyone sucks here. <laughs> Uh, or maybe Clipperton is TA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I it is like I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to talk too too divert to talk too seriously about a suicide, but you know, there is like a uh a a, a way of thinking about it of a very of it being essentially a very selfish act. Uh mm-hmm. and certainly that would be the Clipperton esque association of it. Yes. Uh uh, yeah, it's a funny, it, it's it's an interesting interlude because it does sort of sum up all of the like pressures on. Yeah. But but you don't, you don't even know what pressure, like he, he almost comes in as like this like specter like presence yeah. to just make a mockery of the idea uh, of like trying yes. hard. And yet like he, you know, he gets all these trophies, like he, yeah. he wins a trophy and he disappears. <laughs> but like, he doesn't have like a school behind him or coaches or anybody backing him up. Yeah. It's I don't know it's we'll we'll get the story's not over um obviously he do, we do know that he has completed suicide at a certain point yes. um but it, it was just funny that that you brought up that um the idea of how to run for <laughs> office would be if if I lose I, I swear to God I'll KMS. do it I'll do it I'll, I'll fucking s- do it you watch me you think I don't care about it that much I fucking do man <laughs> um but <laughs> Donald Trump should do that oh my God. Can I'll you do imagine? it. I'll, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> Folks, you, don't, you don't think I'll do it? You don't think I'll do it? But I, I will. I will. I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, this is a... It's the, it, the first place that I would say people would drop out of the book was in that kind of like first 100 pages when it's truly like, what is going on right now? Mm-hmm. And then I would say that this would be the second because it is... It's kind of long. There's not a ton of payoff. Like it really is. And even though, like, the, I guess the 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 juice that you're getting is some ex- exposition about the um, Onan and the the d- development of the system and what exactly happened with the con- concavity mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The way that it's being spooled out is very, very tedious. Yes. And the way that you have to like imagine it being within this like movie that is described to be intentionally silly although i do want to watch this movie right yes it is fun it's yeah just like all the layers that you have to remember that it's like a puppet and then some of it is parodic like yeah even the idea the spinning headline set to a a flight of the bumblebee well even just the idea that um like gentle supposedly throwing a temper tantrum and and threatening to nuke the united states unless he gets his way with a concavity Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that actually happened. happened I think they're is, trying to. They're doing like, it, like there's, see, it's like it's just like Clipperton. He yeah. was this. He was this uh, pedi- uh, 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 pe- petulant. That's and that's the way I heard that segment as, as well. Is that it, it's not something that literally happened, but that it is. It is indicative yeah. of Gentles' personality enough that you could put just that in a comedy movie and people would be like, "Yes, that is something yeah. he would do." But then you. But that doesn't tell you what he actually did. And right? th- this. This movie, this puppet movie, which is a um, kind of remake of another movie, 
it, which includes f- false information, parodies, etc., and is like extremely intratextual, mm-hmm. one might say, is the only representation we truly get yes. of the history of Onan, which is so freaking frustrating when you think <laughs> about it that way, is that you actually don't know... You know, is he making some kind of meta commentary on history and who it's told by? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's the... Pack it up, Howard Zinn. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know. It's (laughs) it's still funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's something. And the Clipperton stuff, I I really do enjoy as a a mental exercise of like, what, what would you do? What would you do, man? What would you do if Eric Clipperton pulled That's out his gun when he played a game against Cli- you? Clipperton's got a gun. <laughs> uh, should we talk about that Dale Peck thing? The, yeah. The so, uh, friend of the pod, Todd. Shout out to Todd. 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 Todd time. Todd. Time. Todd. Time. Um, found, uh, dug up a review of Infinite Jest in the London Review of Books from july 1996 written by a guy named dale peck that is very critical of the book but meets it on its terms and takes it seriously Mm -hmm. it's a it's a very good review even if it is negative and i would suggest looking up the london review of books dale peck review of infinite jest does the name dale peck well first of all Yes, it's it's quite good, and it it has some it's got some good burns in it in the it great it's very, literary it's tradition. It's very snarky, yeah. uh, in in a fun to read way. What one of the most fun like kind of literary trends of the past? I don't know. I'm sure people have been doing it forever, but a a good book takedown yeah. is nice. Uh, Lauren Euler wrote a great one about uh, Gia Tolentino's book Trick Mirror a couple of years ago that I was like, ooh yeah, and they're always in British. It's like uh, people go to England to write the things. Yeah, that, you have uh, to get out of the country. I think we're I think we're too sincere or folk fake sincere here to do like a uh, a literary takedown. But that is one of the great things about the literary world is that the people involved in it tend to be good writers. Good writers and also not not afraid of pulling punches. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure there's a lot of uh, fake niceness, but so sometimes the the book drama and literary drama that I see boil over. I'm mm-hmm. like ooh girls like the girls are fighting uh in a way that doesn't happen in something like music or movies yeah because it's critics instead of now critics are basically i feel like every album gets a pitchfork 6.2 yeah every album critics are afraid i truly do feel like there is a problem over at conde with people who are frightened of uh creating any kind of reaction at all and yet doing such a thing has meant that people <laughs> compare whether Donda got higher or lower than the Peppa Pig soundtrack. Dude, reviewing the fucking Peppa Pig thing is the funniest thing they could ever do since now everything will be compared to that. It's uh, it's a real uh Look, um, once you get bought by Condé Nast, yes, every every single uh album needs to be 6.7. Yeah. Neither good, you were neither hot nor cold, yeah. so I spit you out. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Well, th- that's the other thing is that with literary criticism as I just alluded to, the people in the world tend to be good writers. It Look, there are great writers who do music cri- critics, and sometimes musicians uh, can be good music critics. Uh, critics can be good musicians, and musicians can be good critics. But yeah. it, literary criticism is the only medium in which the people exercising it are it, that doing, is so it, true. doing it in the medium that they are yeah. also doing. That, you know? that that nails why, why it ends up uh, working out so well, is because... 
you know, you can be mm-hmm. like, your book sucked. It, it, it's that old, which I don't agree with, the thing of like, well, you make some art then. Uh, and you're like, and, and you're, you're like, like guess I what, did. bitch? I'm doing it right now with this <laughs> literary criticism. Or I'm doing this literary cri- criticism, and yeah, check out my new novel out in uh, yep. October, like uh, you know, coming out from Knopf. <laughs> Alfred. Shout out to shout out to Alfred Knopf. Ooh, wonderful spike from yeah. the television uh, tennis on screen. Uh, yeah, the it's the other thing I will say is that did you recognize the name Dale Peck? Uh, it, it's familiar, but I don't know where I know Dale it from. Peck got in trouble for writing about Pete Buttigieg during the Democratic uh, presidential primary season. Mm, basically, a regular being Vir- like, Virgil, Texas. Basically, being like, mm, I don't like this guy, and everyone <laughs> was like, this is homophobic. The, and also the way he wrote about him, Dale Peck, I believe, is gay, and he wrote about him in a way that uh, perhaps the gay men are allowed to write about gay men, but w- if people don't realize that it's a gay man writing it, mm-hmm. would seem homophobic. I'll have to pull like specific uh, quotes from it or something, but it's it. He got he, that was his like last virality was everyone being like you're being like, you're being homophobic about Pete Buttigieg and him screaming I'm gay. <laughs> I do I, now I do kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah. It was um not not National Review. It was it was something. But like everyone got really performatively upset because he was you know not not participating in the like love wins rhetoric that mm-hmm. we're also used to at oh, this well, point. Well, shout out to Dale Peck then. Yeah, he's a. Uh, He's 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 interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's certainly got um he an also acid shout, quill. <laughs> yeah, he also shouts out Jarvis Cocker in this um okay in this uh, interview. Anyway, well, that's just taste. Though. This is a long diversion, but his essential criticism of the book is that it's basically is that its thesis is flawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in that if entertainment is addiction and addiction is entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, the fundamental fault is. Am I getting this right? That yes. it's basically like that people can't choose to be entertained like uh yeah uh, honestly i I can't remember the exact tone of it but it was it was something along the lines of like yeah addiction getting addicted to drugs is nothing like getting addicted to television Mm -hmm. uh and you can't you can't make that parallel yeah i don't know which i don't know uh i i found it i i like the review i found his his I found his central thesis uh, lacking, which is that the central thesis is lacking. Yeah, but also because also I like don't really care about like the book isn't doesn't have to like prove a point to me. It just has to be a good book, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not an academic work. No, I'm I'm just vibing it, as much as it is. Yeah, it's it's that's no, why, no points. That's why vibes. I can't. That's why I can't be a literary critic. Because um, <laughs> every book gets a six point seven. hundred <laughs> percent. I I I reviewed a few books when I first um graduated from college for some uh you know websites that no one looked at yeah yeah. i just wanted review copies and every one of them like well it's definitely a book this is interesting (laughs) i will say that this book contains words (laughs) that when put in correct order form sentences it it was sent to me in an envelope it's a paper (laughs) bound into a sort of uh pamphlet it was published by a company and uh yep it's definitely real (laughs) three three stars (laughs) Two, two, two and three quarters stars. Two and three quarters stars. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we want to talk about this week? I think that's. I think that's it. Uh, I, I feel good. I feel. I feel great. Good. Um, I. Uh, somebody tweeted a photo yesterday about their cat castle that was like what I didn't. Uh, 
<laughs> I um, when I ordered this, I didn't realize it would be this bit big. Is this too big? And it's like two cats playing on a castle. But they clearly have a giant, like, custom-made Infinite Jest poster above their uh, uh, couch. Were people pointing that out? Yeah. Ah. And I immediately had to click on that tweet <laughs> and read all the replies and be like, "All right, who's making fun of this guy for Infinite Jest?" <laughs> yeah. Who who's on who's on our team and yeah. who's uh, who's cl- who's trying to Clipperton the whole business? Yes. <laughs> uh well let's not clipperton ourselves <laughs> um uh if this tweet doesn't get a hundred thousand faves i'm going to kms i'm gonna kms kms <laughs> uh <laughs> it is it's just a funny gambit like imagine going into a like i don't know like a burger king or something and be like, and just with like a gun to your head being like give me a fucking free uh, double uh, double cheeseburger meal, or else I'm gonna fucking blow my brains out right now. It's like the scene in um at the beginning of Legally Blonde when Elle Woods is at her first ever uh Harvard law class, uh-huh. and uh that old lady professor is like, "The law is reason free from passion." Who said that? <laughs> and the guy raises his head. He's like Aristotle. And she goes, "Are you sure?" And he goes, "I think so." And he goes, "Would you be willing?" Just take your life on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's what Clipperton did. Yes. Right, would you like to win this tournament? He's, yes. He's, are you sure? In a, uh, in a way, he is He is the Joker. <laughs> he is he the is, Joker. How much is a game of tennis worth to you? <laughs> <laughs> is it worth my life? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're all the Joker. Yeah, we are. All right, we got to go to a wedding later. So right. um, our first wedding our since f- January 2020. Our first indoor wedding. That's true. Our first like real because we we, look, had our we own. got fucking married. Yeah. And then we went to another wedding, but you know it's kind of not to say that they're not real or anything. Just kind of makeshift. Just get a bunch of people in a field. And, it's like, not just that different thing. from just hanging out in the park. You know what even is a goddamn wedding? What is a wedding? Anyway, see you at the Montauk Club later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.